welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm your host, Emma Thomas, and this week we welcome Lee Waters-James. He's a managing director with Accenture in the UK and has worked in the legal and sales function, now a specialist negotiator for Accenture globally. The reason he's here with me, though, is in his role as an advocate for inclusion and diversity and as a sponsor of the Accenture Accent on Gender and Men Warriors initiatives in the UK. If you haven't already listened to my earlier episode with uh, Sarah Garson and Jill Ross from Accenture, they're also talking about the Menno Warriors group. So I recommend going and listening to that after this one. But welcome to the podcast, Lee. Thank you very much. I mean, it's great to be here. So for anyone who's not heard that earlier episode, can you just sort of recap on the origin story of how that Menno Warriors group came to be in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. It started back in 2019. Uh, at the time, I was the UK sponsor for Accent on Gender, which is a, a focus group on on gender-related issues, mm-hmm. uh, trying to drive equal parity, equal pay, all that kind of thing. And Jill Ross, uh, another managing director at Accenture, contacted me and said, Lee, I know you focus on gender, but the one thing that we don't talk about is menopause and its effect on a- an ever-increasing number of our people at Accenture. I would like us to put it on the agenda. I'd like us to have a session to talk about it. And uh, I'd very much like you to join me to do it. So uh, immediately I thought, what a great thing to do. Simply because for me, I'd been impacted by the menopause in my life through several family members. Mm. So the fact that it wasn't talked about uh, immediately struck a chord with me. So I said to Jill, absolutely, let's do it. And we set up a session uh, and as you know, from speaking to, to Jill and Sarah before, we had a session with Dr. Louise Newsom, with Saskia Gravel, and we had an honest and open discussion about what menopause was and what it wasn't and why it wasn't talked about. And it was a, it was a watershed moment. It, it struck a chord with so many people, uh, and Sarah Garten in particular, who was one of our co-sponsors, um, who in that moment realized that actually she was actually perimenopausal. She wasn't having a major crisis in terms of her own ability. And, uh, and from that point forward, it picked up pace. And it's been going for four years now. And we are, I think, probably uh, a bit further advanced than a lot of organizations in how we're trying to tackle perimenopause and menopause, how we're trying to open the conversation. Uh, and for me personally, it, it's been a remarkable thing uh, because, you know, I like to make a difference. And I, in my daily job, um, you know, I with all due respect, make, make rich companies richer. But this was something very personal to me that actually had a, a very meaningful impact on, on my colleagues around me. Uh, and it was, uh, it was life-changing. Mm. I think for a lot of men in the workplace, though, it can be a bit of an uncomfortable topic sometimes, perhaps less so if they, you know, they have a partner or a family member that's been impacted, they're more likely to sort of to be interested to get involved. But so how, what, what are some ways in which you have been bringing male colleagues along to the, involving them in the conversation, helping them feel more comfortable, I guess, discussing something like this? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I think the thing about perimenopause and menopause is that it isn't just men who felt uncomfortable about it. Mm. It's been an uncomfortable conversation for everyone for a very long time. It has been something that has been endured and not talked about. And I think recently, obviously, it's come, it's come into the public much more and a lot of women are more comfortable talking about it. But for men, it has still been a very taboo subject. Men are 
not very good about talking about things like that. I say things like that to be polite, right? But medical things, things that, that reflect some kind of medical impact on people, they, they, they don't like to talk about it, so they close up. But obviously, what we were trying to do is break the taboo around menopause. And you can't break a taboo if half the people don't want to talk about it. So what we tried to do was to, to bring men into it to talk about it, to say, look, it's, it's okay, right? You, you just need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, so, so what we did is in that, actually having me as a co-sponsor was deliberate because we wanted it to be not just women talking to women about menopause. We want it to be people talking about it generally and, and to have me stand up in the front of the room and say, it's okay as a man to understand it. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to be there for your female colleagues if they want to talk to someone about it, to be known as someone you can come and talk to, right? So I think what we tried to do was, was, was open it up immediately to bring as many men in to say, it's okay, you can talk about night sweats. You can talk about vaginal dryness. You can talk about those things that men might shudder to actually vocalize without it being a problem. And what we found is the more men that came along to these sessions, the more men were actually prepared to ask questions, the more comfortable all the women felt about talking about it because they thought, you know, this isn't just a closed group. This isn't a club. This is everyone trying to talk about it. So we've been open about it right from the very beginning. We have not tried to have one conversation with women talking about very specific points and another conversation with men talking about just be nice. Right? We've had the same conversation with everyone. Some of the details have been very personal. Some of them have been a little bit uncomfortable. But actually, the, the great thing I, I have found is that I have faith in men because actually when they do get into this, they suddenly realize it's okay to talk about all these things at a level of detail. Because once it's out there, it stops to be uncomfortable and it starts to be a normal conversation. Mm. And, and that probably kind of reaches out into some of those sort of areas of toxic masculinity where we're breaking down those barriers for, for people to be able to talk about difficult things in their own lives potentially it's it kind of seeps into other areas doesn't it yeah well I mean I, th I think we've had a lot of success in the last few years talking about men male mental health traditionally men have not liked to acknowledge that there is any chance they could be suffering from mental health problems it, it, it's just been one of those things that you didn't talk about and as we started to talk about it more and more men were able to discuss their own frailties and actually be open and honest about their own mental health challenges. And as a result, we've had so much progress in that area. And this is, I think, spilled into this area as well, where men have started to feel more comfortable with acknowledging vulnerability, and more mm. comfortable with acknowledging things that previously made them feel uncomfortable. And, you know, I say this a lot, right? But, but you would have to be living in a cave as a man to not be impacted by the perimenopause and menopause in your life. For me, I, I first encountered it as a 13-year-old boy when my mum had a, a medically induced menopause. Uh, and I have a, a mum who is a human biologist and a professional oversharer. So <laughs> when I was sat there asking what had happened, we had this great discussion about hysterectomy and what it meant and all those things. And, and you know, I had my eyes wide open as a, as a, a fairly young man. But from that point, it for me became not something to hide away, but just to be, be honest and open about. And I find the more I talk to men about this, the more men actually want to get to that place where they don't feel uncomfortable about it. Uh, and they feel more comfortable about sharing details about themselves and others. Uh, and I think that is what is helping certainly at Accenture 
and I think probably more widely, uh, drive the conversation about the openness of perimenopause and menopause uh, to a much greater degree. I'm sure this doesn't apply where you work, but I think in in probably in a lot of places, part of the reason it's difficult for women to talk about it is that they feel that they will be judged and treated differently and at some kind of a disadvantage yes if they talk about these things so how can we overcome that is it all down to company culture i think it's a lot down to company culture but i thought, think it's also down to personal leadership and seniority leadership i think if you have an organization with leadership that is prepared to talk about it and be open about it and say it's okay then that flows down very quickly and I, I do think that this puts an awful onus actually on, on the senior leadership of organizations to actually stand up and be counted. Mm. Because it's very it's all very well having a grassroots discussion group and a, you know to talk about things. But if it doesn't flow down from the top, then actually it'll it'll be very difficult to to push it up into the upper echelons. And let's be clear, when we're talking about perimenopause and menopause, we're talking about people who are relatively senior themselves. So it has to start at the, the top level. Uh, and this is where I think cultural change is, 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 is rapidly evolving in the sense that I think we are finding now, as, as younger people become older in organizations and more senior, I think we're seeing an ever-increasing level of openness. In, not in every organization, but... Certainly, I think we're seeing it a lot more than we were five, even five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. And I think the more senior people are prepared to be open about certain, you know, about a lot of topics, including the menopause, including mental health, including gender and, and gender balance, right? The, 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 the quicker and, you know, more comprehensively we will see this flow down through organizations. So I, I think it is a matter of holding our leadership to account. It's a matter of Things, podcasts like this, actually talking about it and leadership latching onto it and saying, we have to be good leaders. And in order to be good leaders in 2023, we need to be open about these things and make sure all our people are comfortable talking about it as well. Mm, Modelling that, that kind of best practice. So you, we talked a little bit about kind of getting through that, that discomfort. Are there any sort of other than, you know, having these company wide initiatives? Are there other things that you have been able to do to kind of help let's say kind of a a male line manager who has a big team that might include women that would fall into that kind of demographic that that might need help or support to sort of help them have those conversations I mean I think there are two main areas here right the one is education uh, and the other is policy I think it is much easier for men to be able to embrace and tackle these conversations. One, if there is education out there, right? And and if they're encouraged to actually educate themselves on what menopause is, but also having an organization that is prepared to enshrine what has been discussed into a set of policies and, and, and procedures. Uh, one of the things that we were able to do at Accenture is to lobby our healthcare provider to say, our healthcare is no longer fit for purpose. We do not have dedicated menopause support. And you'll know this better than most. You know, if someone was to go to their GP over the last few years and start talking about their symptoms, there's a good chance they may have been prescribed antidepressants. Mm. Right? So um, 
we need to give people access to specific relevant healthcare. Uh, and at Accenture, we were able to do that by introducing a, a very specific set of healthcare initiatives to allow people to go and get very specific menopause support. And if you have that kind of practice in place, and if you have an evolving menopause policy, then it's much easier, I think, for men to be able to anchor to that and, and, and actually start discussing with their teams what support is out there and, and, and how best to direct it. But I think men need to educate themselves as well, right? It's, it's not enough to hear the concept of menopause and understand that there is something called menopause out there. I think people need to understand what it is and what it isn't, because for a long time, a lot of fear has been built up about misunderstanding what it is and what it isn't. And I think as a man who has a team of people who may be impacted by the perimenopause, it's up to you personally to educate yourself to a level. I'm not talking about at a, at a detailed medical level, but to a level to understand so that you can then recognize it and, and help your team then go and get that support with whatever healthcare provision you've got or, or just maybe help them understand where they can go. Mm. Uh, and obviously not not all uh, companies have kind of huge budgets resources and I think we talked about this a little bit in the the episode with with Jill and with Sarah but it doesn't necessarily have to be kind of costly in terms of putting a policy in place for example or setting up a support group I think what it is is also if, you're, if you are in an organization where you are prepared to have an honest and open conversation and feed that out to your organization, then people will, as a matter of course, every time they, someone comes to them and says, I think I'm, I'm, I may have a challenge, they will have that in the back of their mind because it has been widely talked about. Mm. So you don't necessarily have to have a support group, but what you have to have is enough people that are prepared to acknowledge because maybe it's been talked about quite a lot that actually there is something there that, that, that actually someone needs to go and address. So, you know, the pervasiveness of the conversation and making sure everyone understands enough in an organization, especially in small organizations, where you can push that knowledge out far faster to a, a greater group of people, I think then that enables you, even if you don't have a dedicated team, for someone to be able to say, okay, I think I may know what you're going through. There is a great person over here to go and talk to. And, and one of the great things about about Jill and Sarah and the team uh, is that we've spent so much time talking about it, having meetings about it, that actually we get contacted now by people to say, "Hey, I, I heard you were the people to talk to," and mm, I want to self-referring. <laughs> it is a, a self-referring thing, and and Jill and Sarah have been great in particular because lots of people have gone to them and said, "What do I do?" And they've been able to say, "Okay, you need to go and talk to Peppy, or you need to go and talk to that person, or you need to mm. go and get Lee and have a." have him chat to your line manager, right? So there is a degree of self-perpetuating help that comes out of, of just talking about it relentlessly, about having regular meetings, about having big events. We, we had a, uh, an International Women's Day event at Accenture and we had Davina McCall come, come and open up the whole thing. And she spent a long time talking about the menopause that she would, and it was humorous, it was on point. And so many people after that actually got in touch to say, oh, it was that was brilliant and what was talked about was very relevant to me and i want to talk about more of it so you know the, the more you talk about it it creates a wave and it creates a movement and, and in smaller organizations i would say that's even more important because if you can reach your entire organization and all your line managers 
kind of recognize a little bit about what it is. When someone puts up their hand, they can say, ah, okay, now I know, and now I can help you, and now I can direct you to someone who may be able to give you more specific help. Yeah. And what about outside of work? Because obviously you've been involved in this for so long now. Do you find that actually your your peers outside of work are coming to you for help and advice? I do find I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people at parties, actually. <laughs> um, and uh, and it actually is a it's, a it's a broad group. It is men and women alike, actually. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, I, I uh, rightly or wrongly, I have no filter, right? So I'm generally prepared to talk to anybody about anything. So, uh, you know, in, in parties, when people are talking about things, I'll often get started on this and then more people will come in and eventually I'm holding court because I'm talking about the menopause with a group of 40 and 50 something year old women. But I think when it, when it starts to become part of your life, it becomes part of your life in every aspect. And that has to be right. You know, if I'm going to be evangelical about breaking the taboo on menopause, I can't just do it when I walk through the office door at nine when I leave at six. I have to have it as something I'm prepared to stand up and be counted about in every aspect of my life. And, you know, my kids joke with me now that, you know, I, I talk about this with anybody and, you know, uh, my wife as well. So I think you have to live and breathe it. If you're honestly going to be one of these people that stands up and says, I'm going to talk about the menopause, then you have to talk about it in every aspect of your life. What do you think then is this the kind of the the obvious next step on in terms of what you're doing at Accenture or is it just sort of more of the same? I, I think we can't rest on our laurels mainly because we are a very large organization and we have lots of geographies. I think the menopause discussion in the UK is probably quite far advanced when compared with a lot of other places. Uh, and as the men are warriors, we started to, to branch out into other, in other countries where we, uh, where we're based. We're starting to have big conversations in India, and Sarah's in India now driving that personally, which is fantastic. But we're also having a groups in Australia and the US, uh, and those are huge markets, right? So I think what we need to do as the UK is, is not try and trample on people's toes, but, but be here as a group of people who have sort of been talking about it for a while and, and help to offer support. Because for us at Accenture, we need this conversation to be as wide as possible in our entire organization of over 700,000 people. So we're not done yet. Uh, I think in the UK, we need to keep having the conversation because new people come in all the time. New people are going to start to be affected by the perimenopause. So I think for us, it's more of the same in the UK, but also helping to support our other geographies as they start on their menopause conversation. And I think also... Because we started it earlier than most, I think we also want to be known out there in the marketplace as, as someone who is prepared to come and talk to other people about it as well. You know, the great work being done at the moment in Parliament, you know, with the cross-party committee and talking about menopause, some great people being very open and honest and talking about menopause. And I, I think, you know, without, without getting political at all, I think we need as a country to be embracing the health and, and help that, that as a nation we can provide with people who are entering this demographic. And I think organizations like Accenture, large organizations, that can only be good by, by actually standing up and being known as menopause-friendly employers or whatever you want to call it. So I think there's more work to do there to work with other organizations to actually spread the word and, and let everybody know what, what good practice means. And do you find that kind of clients are sort of sidling in and <laughs> and asking how they can replicate some of your successes 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're, we're talking to quite a few clients and certainly Jill, you know, does a great job there talking to a lot of her clients about it. I think everyone is starting to realize that as an organization who cares about their people, they have to, have to, have to start thinking about this more. And some are more advanced than others. But I think everyone that isn't there is starting to realize that they have to get there fairly fast. Right? And, and not everyone is going to do it the same. Not everyone's going to have the same policies or the same healthcare mm-hmm. coverage or the same support groups. And that's not important. It's not important that everyone adopts the same blueprint. It's just important that everybody starts and does something that's going to work for their organization. So we'll happily come and talk to any organization about how it works for us. But it, our method and our mold may not be right for everybody else. So everyone just has to find the way to start having the conversation, to start providing the support, to start getting the right policies and procedures in place that work for them. And if we can help them, then we will. But um, they've just got to start. And do you have you had any kind of backlash at all from uh, you know having this as so, so kind of front and center as a as a sort of subject to to be widely talked about? I would say no. I, I've not had a single person come to me and say, "Oh my God, why are you talking about what you're talking about?" You know, I, I've had a few slightly nervous conversations with some people because they they desperately want to talk about it but can't find a way. Mm. Men especially. Mm. But I have not had a single person in every conversation that I've had in four and a half years that have said this is the wrong thing to do. I think people are just trying to approach it in their own way, and some people are more comfortable about it than others. But everybody acknowledges, right? In the same way that three or four years ago, people were starting to understand that mental health was something to be talked about and not shied away from. There isn't a single person, I think, that thinks mental health should be stuck in a, a wardrobe and forgotten about. And I think menopause is is in this same category of it's good to talk about. Maybe we can't do it as well as we want to, but we want to get there. So uh, no backlash at all. Actually, only only positive, if not sometimes nervous, but only positive uh, support. Well, I should be watching with interest how you kind of roll it out to to other countries, because obviously there are very, very different cultural environments there that, that perhaps make this more difficult to talk about uh, and so yeah i mean in the uk we are generally okay about airing our dirty laundry in public right and and talking about difficult things in public and some 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 countries are naturally more reserved but i think for us the, the the fantastic thing is countries like india where you might think culturally it is something that isn't going to be talked about as much there's a huge wave huge wave of people wanting to talk about things so actually i'm encouraged by the fact that i didn't think I thought culture was going to get more in the way than it has. And I've been pleasantly surprised by the fact that actually in this space, the perimenopause and menopause, culture is not as much of a barrier as I thought it would. And that, that's fantastic news. Mm, I think, yeah, gen- generally people are crying out for information, education uh, and, and the kind of support both inside and, and outside of work. So, yeah, look forward to hearing more about that at some point. Thank you so much for coming along today to give us the second chapter and the kind of the male viewpoint. Couldn't agree more that that top-down sponsorship and support is is really, really key. So um, lovely to see companies modelling that. Good. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com 
sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.